Um, so this, this morning, uh, let's get into uh, Matthew chapter 19. We're covering the first part of Matthew chapter 19, first 15 verses. Uh, the title of this morning's message is Marriage and Divorce. Um, so I know it's a very catchy phrase. Um, <laughs> I, I, I tend to just title it for what it is, you know, marriage and divorce. That's what we're covering this, this morning. I know the question that was posed to Jesus was that which pertains to divorce. But in answering the question about divorce, um, we also have to answer and address the subject of marriage. And um, so let's, uh, let's stand to our feet for a moment here and read the first few verses here of Matthew chapter 19. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him, to him and tested him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to this uh, subject, Lord, that uh, I'm sure causes many, especially in America, uh, to squirm in their seats, our seats. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would be clear in your word. And, uh, Lord, how it is that you clarified uh, the thoughts that were um, really resonating in the hearts of the people up to this point. And, uh, and Lord, that you would uh, teach us this evening, Father, this morning, and help us to understand exactly uh, what your word says in regards to marriage and divorce. And so, Father, we want to commit this uh, morning into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, Father. Lead us and guide us and direct us, Lord. And give us understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, The divorce rate in the United States, what what is it at now? Do you guys know? It's too much already. Yeah, but it's about 40 to 50 percent. You know what it is in California? It's higher. It's like 60. could be in areas 70%. In fact, in Orange County, um, divorce proceedings are started 33 times a day. Just in Orange County. It's one of the highest rates in the whole nation. I believe that it's higher for those... And it's also, by the way, it, it's higher for those that remarry. You know, for if you've, if you've married, you've gotten divorced, you have a better chance of divorcing a second time in your second marriage. And I think the reason why there's a higher rate of divorce in a second marriage is because of a misconception about why you got divorced in the first place. Um, Sometimes we think that it's greener, uh, the grass is greener on the other side. And I've always said, uh, it's not greener on the other side, just water and fertilize your grass and you'll be fine. 
but we have that misconception, you know, that the grass is greener on the other side, Um, this one just wasn't for me, Um, that kind of a thing. And what we realize is that's not true. Um, And you often don't fix whatever brought you to the point of divorce to begin with. You know, there's this thought, um, you know, of of a fashionista. Uh, If I have to choose between a husband and shoes, I choose shoes. They tend to last longer and are easier to replace. That's kind of the thought process uh, behind a lot of the way in which people think today. Now, really, marriage is a beautiful union. But it is also one that can be trying and demands work, devotion, love. That is sacrificial love. Maturity. Godly wisdom, selflessness, exclusivity in many vital areas, protection, and a lifelong commitment among many other qualities. I can go on and on. According to the APA or the American Psychological Association, they say, quote, growing up in a happy home protects children from mental, physical, educational, and social problems, close quote. They're right. But I also am not ignorant of the fact that not all homes have, that have parents that stay together are, quote-unquote, happy homes. But God makes it abundantly clear, and this is why it's important for us to understand Scripture, to know it, apply it in our own lives, our families, our marriages, in our relationships with other people, because it is God who prescribes and sets out the path that we are to take in order to make and build happy homes in the Lord. Blessed homes... Scripture tells us how to have a home that is blessed in the Lord, abiding in godly wisdom and demonstrating a love for one another that can have a lasting, strong, godly impact on our children and serve them the rest of their lives. They have some kind of example to draw from. They have some kind of upbringing that they can look to and exemplify what it is that they are to reflect in their own lives as they continue to grow and deal with situations in their lives, and even in their own marriages. Marriage and divorce. Now, with that said, we're going over the subject again, as I said earlier, of divorce. But we must also address some aspects of marriage, and how it is that a, a couple that is devoted to each other and committed to honoring the Lord can have and enjoy a lasting marriage that is a blessing to each other, a blessing to the family, a blessing to others, and most importantly, a blessing to God. Too often we can focus on a way out when we should be looking for all the reasons to stay in. So let's first cover the first six verses here. The question is, can I divorce for any reason? So we know as we read that Jesus had just departed from the area of Galilee, was going into the area of Judea, and we've seen from... Uh, past scripture that we've covered, that there were large crowds that were following him. This, this is no different. He had large crowds, as was described here, following him. Uh, in addition to all the teaching that Jesus was doing, he also healed some people, as we read. That's not the main point that we're going over, but this was what was introduced along or, or going into this subject of divorce and marriage. He healed some. 
And the questions that could be raised as to why so many people were following Jesus, uh, well, we can speculate, right? But we don't have it exactly before us why it is in some areas, but not here in this, uh, in these verses. But um, we know that he taught in a bold and authoritative manner, which was unlike many of the teachers of the time. They spoke in the authority of someone else, but not in their own personal authority. He spoke with boldness and authority. And uh, so they, they were curious. There's a lot of people that were curious. They, they wanted to hear Jesus, what he had to say. Um, perhaps it could be because they wanted to be healed themselves. They had some kind of uh, health issue going on in their own lives. And so perhaps they were following him because they wanted to be healed. Or they were bringing someone else to be healed by Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus' miraculous works Um, all of these things, or it could be that some of them were genuine followers of Jesus Christ and wanted to be taught uh, by Him, and so they followed Him. But whatever the reasons they were, they did follow Him. And there was a great number of people that were really, at this point, about to witness this exchange between the Pharisees and Jesus. This beautiful conversation. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. And the question that they asked was to to test him out, to see whether uh, they could trap him and lead him him down this path to where he would stumble and then uh, perhaps he would go away. So the question that they asked was, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now... We have been told that the purpose of the Pharisees asking this question was to test him. Um, And we know, because we know who Jesus is, it's like trying to give God a pop quiz. Just curious, you know, I want to ask you this question. I wonder how many times we do that, though. You know, in our own lives, we, we ask God, you know, well, what about this? It's like, just realize who you're asking. Right? Search the scriptures. He has an answer for it. But make sure that you understand Scripture as you're reading through. But they had this question because they wanted to test the Lord. They wanted to test Jesus. The Pharisees are basically trying to trap Jesus in some sort of difficult issue that they knew has two major schools of thought, liberal and conservative. There are some subdivisions there, but... Those are the two. There's just a liberal view and there's a conservative view. They wanted to trap him somewhere in between and see where he sat. But Jesus was using their testing of him in this matter to school them in the larger picture and the true meaning of the law pertaining to this matter. Keep in mind that, again, there was a large crowd that that had gathered. So there are more ears, many ears, many eyes watching. And listening to this teaching. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. If you want to jot down Genesis chapter 50 verses 19 and 20, please do so. Because that is really the uh, crescendo of Joseph's life. And how it is that at the end of their father's life, Jacob... They feared for their lives because they thought Joseph is in a place of authority. Now dad's dead. Um, He's going to have vengeance on us and he's going to wipe us out. And he says, do not fear. Am I God? In other words, I'm not going to bring this uh, judgment of condemnation upon you. That's not my place. 
What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And it's for the reason, for, for uh, you know, everything that happened um, that we know that some are alive today are kept alive. They're being saved. And so that's really the, the perspective that we should have. When someone asks us a difficult question, when we're placed in really amazingly difficult circumstances, just know that there is a cloud of witnesses that is watching how you handle that, how you answer that. And you can bless them and encourage them and lead them down the right path if you respond to it in a correct manner with godly wisdom. That's why it's important to know God's word. Now, let's look at the liberal side. The thought was that a man could divorce his wife. This was the the liberal view of that question. The answer to that question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? On the liberal side... The thought was that a man could divorce his wife for any reason. It could be because he wasn't pleased with the way his wife cooked his breakfast or lunch or dinner. You know, this man had asked uh, his wife, you know, well, his wife said, you know, do you want to eat tonight? And he says, well, what are my choices? And she said, yes or no. (laughs) But... For them, in their liberal view, it was, yes, you you messed up on my breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, whatever. Um, A man could divorce his wife. Or because she spoke with another man in the market. I saw you talking to, you know, so-and-so over there. Uh, I'm going to give you a certificate of divorce. We're done. Or it could be because she literally let her hair down. And um, he didn't like it. Talk about controlling, right? Talk about uh, the view of a woman being extremely low. This is, this is, you could say in our words today, pathetic. That's a pathetic relationship. Or if she raised her voice a little too much. She got a little excited and, and, and spoke too loudly. The neighbors heard. Oh, you just embarrassed me. That's it. We're done. Certificate of doors. So is that liberal? That's extremely liberal, isn't it? Amazingly liberal. You could say that they would have this view that marriage is like a three-ring circus. You have the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering, you know, as you go through. They perhaps had that view. But before you condemn this way of thinking, I believe it resembles our culture today. I believe in many ways the United States reflects this liberal train of thought as it pertains to marriage. I mean, for any reason could be translated for irreconcilable differences. Name it. Right? Oh, you don't have to name it. You can hide behind irreconcilable differences and divorce your wife, your husband, for any cause whatsoever. So before we cast stones, let us examine our own lives and realize that we may perhaps be guilty of the very same thing that we see here before us. We just can't get our acts together. I don't like him. I don't like her any longer. Or or love, which I believe the world, and we know that the world has a skewed and perverse uh, view of love. You know, I can love my dog and my cat as I do my car, as I do my wife. You know, well, what do you mean? And hopefully they're different, right? I'm no longer interested. I'm interested in someone else. I can't stand the way he or she thinks, the way he or she chews, the way he, you know, whatever it is, right? 
We can go on and on. And none of these reasons are really good reasons to divorce. I believe many marriages fail because people do not know what marriage really is and why we should get married and why we should stay married, why it's important, vital, critical that we stay married. And then there was the conservative side. Oh, the conservative side, it's not so popular. It wasn't popular then, it's not popular today. It's the same thing. The thought on the conservative side is very simple. The thought is the only way a man could divorce his wife was if she had committed some sort of sexual, uh, sexually immoral act. Both of these groups pointed to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. So it was Moses who wrote that. And so both of these groups, conservative and liberal, would point to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, and say, it is lawful to give our wives a certificate of divorce. And their view was that Moses commanded that. Now, the word indecency is also translated uncleanness in other translation, which means a nakedness, shameful, and may, may include sexual contact, but not always. But the key words here that should give us an indication that there was something wrong with the heart of man are the words, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because, fill in the blank, no favor in his eyes. What makes you think that? There's favor going the other way, you know? What if he finds no favor in her eyes? Now, this is what the liberal way of thinking clung to and ran with and thus used to divorce for whatever reason they wanted to use. Whatever it is that they wanted to use, that's what they justified their uh, divorces with. Now, we understand and we know that the Jews did have a high regard for marriage, but a very low view of women, almost like property to be used. And once you're done, write her a certificate of divorce and let her go her way. Considered purchased and used for their own purposes and then disposed of when they fail to meet their needs, quote unquote. Again, many people do this today. They just use different words to describe this way of thinking. And it goes both ways, men and women. So, they ask Jesus this question, trying to trap him. Because if he went on the side of the liberal group, and the way they thought about marriage, then they could say that Jesus really did not take the law of Moses seriously. But if Jesus went the way of the conservative group's way of thinking, then he would be pulled into the very unpopular group because they all really, in the end, wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. The Pharisees were asking if Jesus believed there were legal grounds to divorce for any cause. That was their question. They were thinking of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. But Jesus took all matters all the way back to the beginning. He, he didn't really touch on Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, immediately. 
He first took them to the very beginning, all the way to the beginning when God first established marriage in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.24 is what he quoted. He said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus begins his answer by saying these words. Have you not read? I think it would be good for us to sometimes get to the point to where we also allow the Lord to school us in this way. You know, don't be stuck in your line of thought if it contradicts God's word. Allow him to say to you, have you not read? Have you not? In other words, do you not understand? You missed something very important here. And that's what he was telling the Pharisees. You missed something very important here. You failed to understand God's original idea and view of marriage. I believe there are many reasons why people may hear this said to them today because of what they choose to do in spite of what the Bible really says about specific subjects. The Pharisees wanted to talk about divorce and Jesus pointed to marriage. This is the first thing two people who are having trouble need to do. Instead of thinking for reasons to divorce, they need to think of reasons to stay married. Jesus did not answer in a liberal or conservative way, but in a biblical way. What does God say when it comes to this subject? What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Well, who? Like others? Others uh, like interceding, intervening, and getting in our way? Uh, Well, yeah, them too. But primarily, the two that have joined together and become one. Uh, Even those two. Don't, don't allow them to be the cause of separation between two people. Jesus brought them back to the beginning when God instituted marriage, not man. This wasn't, this wasn't man's idea. That's why man cannot redefine marriage. Man cannot do that. They may do that legally and within the borders of the United States, California, wherever... But they cannot ultimately define what marriage is. God does. He ordained marriage. This is his institution that he loves. Man simply agreed and participated in marriage by committing themselves to God's idea and devoted themselves to each other by becoming one with each other in marriage. Become one flesh. It isn't just just the intimate sexual union of husband and wife. Oftentimes, that's what we refer to, but it's much more than that. It means more fully the unification of the entire person with the other, not just doing one thing together, but doing all things together, sharing in life, becoming one. It gives a picture of two people being yoked together. As oxen are yoked together for the purpose of plowing a field, and their rows will only be straight if they both go in the same direction and stop pulling against each other. Going in the same direction, remaining in close proximity, and having their eyes fixed on the same goals and desires. That's why it's critical. You saw the leadership here. Well, it's a husband and wife thing. It's not his thing and her thing. It cannot be that. 
It, we, we would be torn apart if within leadership here, we, ha- we had husbands doing one thing and, and wives were like, yeah, whatever, that's his thing. That's not my thing. You know, it's like, no, this is, this, is, this is our thing. We should be yoked together even in serving the Lord, even in ministry, going in the same direction. Encouraging, building up, facilitating, doing all of those things, being yoked together even in that. In marriage, it's critical. And that's, by the way, why we had couples up here. It's husband and wife. That, that's how we treat leadership here. It's a couples thing. It's not just a one or the other thing. But in marriage, it's critical that you are both going in the same direction, in close proximity, with your eyes fixed on the same goals and desires. So now the Pharisees were the ones that had been taken off balance. They were on their heels, so to speak. And they had another question for Jesus. Verse 7 says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce And to send her away. And Jesus replying to him. He said to them. Because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you. Whoever divorces his wife. Except for sexual immorality. And marries another. Commits adultery. Now. God did not allow. Or did not command. Did not command for divorce. And this is something that is very important for us to understand. God did not command for divorce to take place. But rather. As we see here. Allowed it. To take place. He permitted it to happen. The legislation that they were referring to in Deuteronomy 24.1 neither commands nor condones divorce in general, but only regulates its practice. So the Pharisees were wrong when they asked Jesus, then why did Moses, this was their word, command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Number one, there was no command to divorce. Not to divorce. Number two, because of the hardness of your heart, there was an allowance, a permission that was given. Because of your sinfulness, selfishness, and even the cruel manner in which you can treat the other person that you've used up and think there's nothing left for that person to give you. It's for those reasons that it was permitted, it was allowed to take place within the union of marriage. But divorce is never to be seen as a God-ordained option. I'm sorry, it has not been commanded. But the thought should serve as evidence that people sometimes allow their hearts to get so hard that it should remind them of their own depraved and self-centered hearts and lead them to repentance. When this comes to the surface, it should be cause for deep thought and concern. If you really truly love the Lord, you should be think, it should bring you to a place of, of thought of like, Lord, is this me? Is this my heart? Am I really truly this this heart in my heart? That I wouldn't just simply submit and surrender to your will in my life and seek your glory and honor in my marriage? And let's get something clear. The subject of divorce is not so much an indifference and or rejection of the other spouse as it is an indifference and or rejection of God. It's a dismissal of Him and His purpose and His glory, rejecting His heart and following your own depraved and sick heart. 
I hope that was abundantly clear. And so Jesus corrected them. They asked about divorcing one's wife for any reason, referring to indecency. And Jesus referred them to God's original design for marriage. And the only reason one can divorce is due to sexual immorality. He didn't say indecency. He said sexual immorality, porneia, fornication, and chastity. In other words, sexual intercourse performed outside the bonds of marriage, not just merely indecency. There is one more reason in case you students of the word are thinking, well, there's actually another reason that the Apostle Paul gave that one could divorce. You're right. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. If an unbelieving spouse no longer desires to remain married and abandons the marriage, you can let them go. Okay, So that, that more than likely is when two people come together, um, they've, they've come to be married, and um, the one, one of them comes to uh, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and the other person goes along for a while, but then can't, can't stand that, never comes to uh, faith themselves, and then they separate. Uh, the, the believing spouse can then allow the unbelieving spouse that no longer desires to stay in the relationship to divorce them. So, yes, those are the two occasions. Now, there are and may be other reasons to separate physically. Could be abuse, addiction. So I'm not ignorant of these reasons also. Could be financial poverty, job needs, just separate you physically. But this is not considered divorce before God. And there is no justification to remarry if a couple separates for any other reasons. If so, then that person is committing as the Bible says, adultery. Now, I know also that many have already divorced for unbiblical reasons. We all know that. I mean, we sit here, we're talking about marriage and divorce, but we know that within the church, there's all, there are a number of people who have divorced for unbiblical reasons. But then, I, I want to tell you, when you come to the realization that you did that very thing, what are we to do in the case of sinning against the Lord? And we come to realize that. We repent. We ask the Lord for forgiveness. It's not at that point that you realize, oh my, I, I, I wasn't really clear on what Scripture had to say about this, and now I am. Therefore, I'm going to divorce um, the person that I'm married to now and go back to my first marriage. Like, no, no, no. Remain in the place that you are. When you ask for forgiveness, ask the Lord to forgive you. He will forgive you. He will give you grace. You continue in that marriage and make it to glorify the Lord. Do everything that perhaps you didn't do in the previous marriage and make it be a blessing to the Lord. Glorify Him. Worship Him within that union that you have before you. Now, Why is divorce allowed according to the Bible? Number one, divorce is allowed but only for one reason and on two occasions. But it is not commanded and it is not preferred. Even in the case of adultery. Do you hear that? It can be justified in adultery. But that doesn't mean that you have to divorce. Again, divorce, God hates divorce. 
So even in the case of adultery, God can do an amazing work. He desires restoration, reconciliation. He, he desires forgiveness for people to repent and come back to that place to honoring the Lord. And I can tell you that you can even get through uh, a case of adultery and your, your marriage can be absolutely amazing beyond that. And so even in those cases, God prefers repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. And I, I've seen that happen. God's done amazing work in the union of marriage when two people have fallen in that area. Amazing work. Secondly, recognize the hardness of your heart, that it may be the reason why people oftentimes divorce. Again, repent, commit, and devote yourselves to your spouse and re-engage in the marriage. Well, this is how the disciples responded because this is who was, who was before them. You know, we had the Pharisees, but the, the, the disciples were there. And we also have this large crowd that was following Jesus. This is what, now his disciples chime in. Verse 10 says, The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. That was their response. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive the same, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Let's be clear. A eunuch is a male who is impotent, incapable of sexual relations. Jesus referred to those men who have been incapable from birth, those men who have been castrated often for the purpose of the king's service in those days, and those men who have made themselves eunuchs or withdrawn to a life and committed themselves to a life of celibacy, uh, committing themselves to serving the Lord for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, to serve the king. And so we need to understand what it is that's being referred to here. Ones that haven't been able to from the moment of birth. Others that have been made eunuchs and others that have given themselves to celibacy for the sake of the, of the king. The king, Jesus Christ, the Lord, our God. But the disciples at this point, you can say they threw up their hands. They threw them up. The disciples then simply gave up and thought the matter, well, it's too difficult, and made the comment, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Right? It's like, man, this sounds, sounds hard. Those of you who are married, is, is uh, married for longer than two days. Or three months. Is marriage difficult? Yeah? Okay. We can all agree on that? Will you please let me know if marriage is easy? No? No, nobody. No takers. Marriage is not easy. Is our spouse there to make us happy? I know, sweetheart, you exist to make me happy. Right? No. <laughs> I got the look. Oh, 
No. What is your spouse there to do? I know. I mean, you've heard it before, right? She's not there to make you happy. She's there. He's there to make me holy, right? To come together and really go in the same direction. And, and you know, um, sometimes that is uh, questioning each other, having good, um, what I would consider passionate discussions. Um, some call them arguments. And, you know, just, just having those good heart-to-heart talks, you know, um, sharing with one another, uh, sometimes compromising with one another, really um, uh, putting the other person first in their needs. And I know that's, that's a work. That's something that we need to be reminded of. Um, and, and it is difficult. It demands our commitment, our devotion to not only each other, but the Lord. And so it does take a lot of work. But I, I was like, when I, when I saw this, this, this response by the disciples, of all people, right? The disciples were like, this is, this is way too hard. I thought, if the Lord turned the world upside down or right side up with these guys, then we have to be encouraged that we also can be used to make some kind of a difference to the glory of God, right? I mean, this is, this is a prime example. The, these guys were amazing. They were empowered by the Lord. They were brought up by Him, but they were taught by Him just as, just as the Lord is teaching us through His Word. Um, he was teaching them in that day. He was clarifying things, giving them the right direction. This is the correct way. This is not the correct way. He, he was shepherding them as the good shepherd. So they were saying, it sounds too difficult. I might as well just not marry. And I love Jesus' response to that. Okay. He just went along, right? He went along with it. He said, okay. Um, but not everyone can handle this. So not everyone can handle this. If a person does remain unmarried and serves the Lord, then they are to remain holy, both in body and in spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 7.34. Not just outwardly, but inwardly. In other words, those who remain single in the Lord are to be at peace and not serve in the state in a begrudging and regretful manner. It would do us well, those who are single, to be in this state of mind ourselves and in this heart. You who are single, do not serve the Lord in a begrudging and regretful manner. But do so joyfully until perhaps the Lord brings someone along for you. Until then, be at peace. Know that God has a purpose and a plan for you, even today. You know, sometimes we wish, you know, when we're single, that we'd be married. You know, when we're younger, we're older. When we're older, we're younger. You know, all of those things. And we think, man, life would just be better if, you know. And it's not like that. Listen, it would do us well. You know, because we know that godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, that we would be in that place, that state of great gain in the Lord. Be content and, and serve Him in the godliness before us in His Spirit and by His Spirit and by the power of His Spirit, according to His Word, the Lord, all to His glory. And hopefully our lives are uh, our spiritual worship unto Him, no matter what state we're in. May we be content. 
It shouldn't be demonstrated that, that they are tormented and living a life of stress and extreme sacrifice for the Lord. Oh, woe is me. I'm just like, I'm a eunuch. Can you imagine? <laughs> I, I feel bad for you already. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm this and I'm that. You know, I'm suffering for the Lord. Have you heard people say that? I'm suffering for the Lord. It's like, oh, you haven't seen suffering. You know, you don't know suffering. But be joyful. Listen, marriage is difficult and requires work, devotion, love, sacrificial, selfless love, maturity, godly biblical wisdom, selflessness, exclusivity, and many vital areas, protection of your marriage, reliance on the Lord's grace and His strength, and a lifelong commitment among many other qualities. Don't throw up your hands and think it's too hard. With the Lord, all things are possible. You know, with man, yeah, everything's impossible. You'll fail. But with the Lord, all things are possible. All things. Look to Him. Look to His strength. Look to His wisdom. All of the things that we need are in the Word of God. And by His Spirit, we will flourish and be a blessing in our marriages. Blessed children, we're going to draw to a close here as we read these last few verses and then conclude. Verse 13 says, Then children were brought to Him that He might lay His hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now, back in what we studied in Matthew chapter 18, the previous chapter, verses 2 and 3, Jesus used children as an object lesson to teach the disciples to be like children in their trust and reliance uh, on the Lord, just like children are with the father and mother. Here, Jesus had just taught on marriage. He just taught on marriage. There's a a large crowd following him. They're all witnesses to the exchange that they had between him, between the Pharisees and himself, and then also with his disciples. Yeah, you know, may we all remain single, right? So they saw this whole exchange. And then we have these parents who are bringing their little children to be blessed by Jesus. I, I love this. It's like, okay, you know, you have that. But, but I believe this fits into this whole lesson even this morning. These parents were bringing, and these weren't just like, um, you know, five, seven, eight-year-olds, ten-year-olds. The word that's used for children here is a word that means infants, newborns. So they were traveling following Jesus, and they brought these infants to Jesus to be blessed by him. Now, please notice that he didn't baptize them. He didn't baptize them. He laid his hands on them and blessed them and then went away. When we do that, we just, we're just ask, simply asking for God's favor in their lives to prepare them for what God has for them and to walk in his ways all the days of their lives, to be blessed by the Lord. And so we pray a blessing upon them. Now, remember that he said, to such as these belong the kingdom of heaven. Those that have complete reliance on, in, in God and on God, in, in full innocence, knowing Jesus Christ and being covered by the Lord, you know, as we are considered a little children before Him. So for us, as we consider the little children, lead them right, give them a right example, and do not make them stumble by insisting on remaining in the hardness of your heart and forsaking your marriage. That's why I thought this all comes together here. 
Listen, we're asking for the Lord to bless our children. It's like coming up here, right? And asking, you know what? Can we come together? I want to commit my, my little one to the Lord. I want to, I want to have my child blessed. You know? So we do this thing to where we don't baptize, but we, we simply pray for the children. But we pray more for the, for the parents, right? To lead them in the way of the Lord. To raise them up in the ways of God. Can you imagine if doing that, you then say, well, that's, that's between my little one and the Lord. And in our example, don't do as I, uh, I, I do. Do as I say. And uh, that's wrong, of course, right? Um, that should match. And then we ourselves serve as poor examples to them. What would that do to their lives? It would give them every opportunity to do the very same thing. And so that's why I think that this is great as it goes along with this whole discussion and teaching on marriage and divorce, how it is that these children are brought to the Lord, that He would bless them, and then He gives them back to His parents, to their parents, and walks away. That's up to you guys to raise them in the ways of the Lord. Do not remain with hard hearts and forsaking your marriage and ultimately forsaking the Lord. It matters, and it matters in a big way to God, and it impacts many people for many years. Focus on your marriage, never on divorce. Divorce is not so much an indifference and or rejection of your spouse as it is an indifference or rejection of God. It's a dismissal of Him and His purpose and His glory, rejecting His heart and following your own depraved and sick heart. Find ways to remove your affection from others, other things, and grow your affection for your spouse and in the things that will bring you closer to glorifying the Lord. By God's grace, you too can have a lasting, joyful, God-glorifying marriage that will be a blessing to you, your family, and also serve it as, as an encouragement to many, many other people around you. You have no idea how many people watch. And they are encouraged one way or the other by your marriage. And I pray that we as God's people would really submit to and follow God's design for marriage in our own lives. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we are truly thankful, Lord, that you have given us an opportunity to really reflect the relationship in our marriages that is a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. I pray, Lord, that we would truly protect our marriages, that we would look for every opportunity and reason to remain in our marriages, to bless and honor and glorify you, and to encourage others to do the same. I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here who is in the place of just experiencing difficulties within their their own marriage, that they would look to you, uh, to your wisdom, according to your word, that they would be led by your spirit, to be restored in their marriages and, and for you to strengthen their marriages. And I pray that for each and every one of us, that, that you would be the strength within our marriages, that it would be a blessing to our children, to others, Lord. And again, we would glorify and honor you. And so be with us as your people, Father. Soften our hearts. Let us see things as you see them. We just give you all the praise and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.